In a sea of competition, it is a no-brainer to look for avenues to stand out as much as possible. This competition among businesses is the reason why entrepreneurs and marketers continue to innovate their strategies to be one step ahead. Whether it's to create quirky advertisements, catchy hashtags, making trends, or even through well-thought-out content, everything matters. But the big question is, how do you stand out as a brand knowing these avenues exist? Tune in as Michael Peterson goes on a deep dive with Derek Maines on how you can stand out as a brand and why marketing messages are not enough. Don't miss out on this. I want to welcome you all to the Dominate Your Market podcast. Today's guest is a personality, no doubt, times 10, Derek Maines. Derek is the founder and the CEO of Podcastology and the Process Fixer. He consults and speaks on a wide range of topics, including sustainability, manufacturing, lean, and boy, do I like that word lean for many reasons, philosophy, physics, operations, marketing, finance, Web.3.0. He also is the author of three books on lean management. Okay, I got to take a big deep <laughs> breath for a second. Holy crap, I feel like I just ran a mile. <laughs> Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I am glad to be here. It's good to, it's good to reconnect it. And talk a little bit about all of the goings on here in Arizona in the last couple of weeks, particularly around uh, some of the content we've done and some of the things that have been happening. So that's exciting. Well, I, I tell you, we're neighbors, right? So We are. I think you're in Chandler, right? No, it's deceiving. So nobody listening to the podcast will know this, but when you come down the 10, you take the Warner exit to get to my home okay. and it says, welcome to Tempe. Yep. Then you take a right on Priest <laughs> and within you're a block, I'm in Chandler. Yep. So, so you, yeah, I know right where you are. Yeah. So theoretically we are literally. We are neighbors. But yeah. I'm a 60 in McClintock. So I'm not far from you oh, at all. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Right so people are not going to know what the hell we're talking about, but it's nope. all good. That's all right. Get a map out, people. There's map. There's a, there's Google. Google's got a whole map pro, uh, Google program. Google Maps. Now. Exactly. Set, but uh, right? <laughs> hey, tell me what's going on in your world that the listeners might want to hear about. I'm sure you've got gazillions of things. I think I've probably met my match in regards to energy levels. That's I, probably true. Well, uh, well, I thought I was up there, but. Oh, I, you I am known. I'm known for that for sure. And there's, I have an interesting story about energy. Cause I'll tell you about that one here. Cause it really applies to domination in, in a marketplace, but yeah, no, I, the last few, this year has been really interesting. I, I, I've been a consultant for a long time. I have worked with well over a hundred companies, usually in a COO type role. A lot of those engagements were on behalf of investors. So it was me going in on behalf of, a, of an investment group or private equity to be the person who can help them with their product processes and, and figure out their business and grow it going forward. I left my consulting firm about three years ago. I put it on a hiatus because I had taken uh, on a role as president of a company called Fat Scooters, which uh, anybody that's here in the South California, Arizona, probably is very familiar, it, a very dominant brand in the electric scooter space, really well known for their high-end luxury uh, scooters that are used primarily. They're the NFL uh, quarterback gift. Every year, wow. it's two or three teams. We, lots of celebrities from NBA legends. And there's actually chatting with Dominique last night about our, our recent accomplishment with uh, obtaining an Emmy for that, for the TV show that we did. But yeah, so it's been a busy time. I spent almost three years over at Fat Scooters. One of the things that we worked on in the last year or so that I was there was producing a docu-series and a reality TV show. And we did that 
it's an interesting story of how it came about. The, the night that the NBA canceled the season, it was, I believe, March 16th or 17th of 2020. Fat Scooters was having an event that night. We had about 180 people. We had a big bar in our office, had about 180 people there for a networking sort of mixer, lots of NFL folks, NBA folks. And we started having a conversation when the news came out that the NBA had canceled. And I just happened to be standing beside Kelly Salloway, who is a pretty well-known producer for Motor Trend Television and actually has a show on Discovery that's coming out in a couple of months as well, a, a docuseries. We start chatting and I said, what is the opportunity that COVID has just created? This was the question I was asking people. We're 20 minutes into the real pandemic yeah. and everybody's freaking out and I'm going, wait, what's the opportunity that just, sure. a, that just appeared. And Kelly says, but there's ever a time to pitch a reality TV show. It's going to be in the next two weeks because oh. everybody's going to be freaking out. So I said, well, how quickly could we do a sizzle reel? And she's, let me start making some calls. So this is nine o'clock on a Wednesday night. We got a crew together for 8 a.m. the next morning, shot the sizzle reel, hired a broker. And within 10 days, we're talking to Discovery, NBC. And wow. in the end, we ended up going with Crackle, which is a free streaming platform that at the time was owned by Sony and Chicken Soup for the Soul. We ended up striking a deal with Crackle to be exclusive docuseries for them and then started producing the show within a few weeks. It was a whirlwind. But we had, we struggled a lot with that because we originally had some serious A-listers that were going to appear on the show, including Bill Murray. And because of the pandemic, we couldn't shoot them. And so we had to change guests. Dominique was a great example of anybody who's familiar with the NBA, Dominique Wilkins, oh, yeah. human highlight reel. Oh, yeah. uh, literally, he hits me up on Instagram one night and we start chatting and I... And I he needed a, he wanted a scooter to donate to a charity event that he's involved in. And I said, I'll give it to you if you can beat me at basketball. And, and he was, <laughs> he literally texted me his address and was like, come on over and I'll show you what I can do. And I said, is wow. it a camera crew? And he's bring them on down. So we ended up shooting a whole episode with Dominique. And of course he beat me very badly, but yeah, yeah so it was a real, and the cherry on the top of that, we did win three telly awards for that show for mm. branded content and web series. And then last Saturday, a Rocky mountain district does their technical Emmys for directing and producing and all those kind of things. And we went with very low expectations and ended up walking out with an Emmy. That, that was a, uh, that's a long, a short story long, but yes, it yep. was a pretty amazing accomplishment to, to be really acknowledged as an Emmy-winning branded content creator, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. It's interesting. You and I are kindred souls, not only energy levels, yeah. but fast movers, hundred miles yeah, an hour. Absolutely. When I get on the phone call with clients, I'm talking so fast and I'm, <laughs> I want to move so fast that if they say, if a client says something like, okay, how about in a couple of weeks? I'm like, why? <laughs> really? Like, they'll say, yeah, listen, weeks, uh, go, why? It's so true. I, and I, just to tell you a little story on that, the energy thing is actually got me probably in more trouble when I was younger than it has when I've been older. And we talked about lean and I've written a couple of books on lean. One of the probably best lessons I ever learned as an executive was starting to understand Six Sigma and lean and recognizing the importance of applying those principles into business. And the methodology behind Six Sigma says you first define what the problem is, then you measure how long it takes to do it the current way. Then you analyze it and you spend a lot of time analyzing it. Then you do improvement and then you control the improvement. I was, I used to be a very whack-a-mole type executive. I was like, solve the problem, solve the problem, solve yeah. the problem. Yeah. But really under the tutorage of the Japanese sort of management philosophy, 
I have really slowed that down now. I'm still the very, very high energy come up with the ideas, but I'm very cautious on the implementation because yeah. I have, I, I want to make sure that I totally understand the whole infrastructure and system and all of the, we're working on some stuff right now for some presentations from, from public speaking stuff next year, where we talk about blast radius. And we say, look, when we come in and make change, there's a blast radius. We need to understand who's in the blast radius. We need to understand the impact zone of our change. We've got to do these things. I, I think it's a little different in early stage companies. You can make change a lot quicker. I think as we've maturated as a consulting firm, the process fixer, now we work with companies that are in that 20 to seven or 800 million range. Yeah. And in those, you try to make a fast move and <laughs> you can realize really quickly that creates a lot of challenges and problems. So we've changed our approach a little bit on that. I think one of the other really good lessons that I learned that helped me, I, I think it's probably, I gave a speech about a year or so ago about the five lessons that I've learned, the five most important things. And one of the top ones was uh, a dog trainer taught me this. We, we have a dog. We always seem to have the problematic dog, right? The one that always <laughs> barks at everything that, you know, and he's a big lover, but he just gets so excited. And yeah, my had a dog trainer here that was doing some work with him. And, and the dog trainer said to me, there's only two things you can affect with this dog, energy and approach. And he said, energy is a finite resource. If you try to use your energy to correct this dog, you will run out of energy before he does. But approach is infinite. It's, it's, by changing the way that you approach the problem, you can solve things much more efficiently. And I've really started to apply that to business and say, look, I can... I'm, I'm 49 years old now. I don't have the energy I had at 29, even though, yes, I yeah, can boy. put it on for the camera. This is my third cup of coffee for the day. And uh, I'm about ready to crack a Red Bull. So uh, I have to fake the energy a little bit, but approach is really limitless. And I yeah. think when you look at CEOs like Elon Musk, I, he's such a great example because people say, oh, but he's a CEO. And I said, actually, he's a seven, he has seven companies yep. right now. Yep. And many of them are billion dollar companies. One is like Wyoming Steel and Metal. He's the CEO there. It's like, what is that all about? But he's got the boring company. He's got Neuralink. He's got Starlink. He's got all of these companies that yeah. aren't even in the spotlight. How does he do that? I know people that know Elon Musk and they, they will say he doesn't have more energy than everybody else. He still smokes weed on podcasts and yeah. stars. He, he, but, but what he does, he approaches things very differently. He only takes... I think it's 10 minute meetings is the max meeting that he'll be in. There has to be an agenda. There has to, everything has to be very well defined and thought out before he steps in. If he makes change to the manufacturing line, I, one of my production managers at fat scooters worked for Elon early on. And he said, if Elon sends a memo that makes a change to the production line, he has a policy that he has to go and work in that job for a couple of hours to see oh, how wow. the change affected the people, right? So he's not allowed hmm. to roll. He, he made his own rules, right? He said, I'm going to set my own boundaries that force me to work inside this so that I don't cause turmoil on the line. Everybody knows if a memo comes down, that means the next day, Elon's he's out there, there. the dirty shirt, digging underneath the car and trying to make it work. So just that maturation, I think I look at, I wish I had the energy I had in my twenties, but I'm so glad I have the wisdom that I have going into my fifties. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting when you say the word approach, it makes me think of strategy too, right? Approach strategy. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think a lot of, I think a lot of companies, now you're working with bigger companies. I work with companies five to 20 million roughly, yeah. and they have no strategy. It's all tactical, bright, shiny objects. Uh, bring the next marketer in and just churn on marketers in these companies is enormous. And so I come in and I go, what's the strategy? What's the goal here? And that could be the same thing like you're saying with the word approach. And I think a lot of people, they don't take that step back 
and just say, we're hamsters on a wheel right now. We're just, we're not going anywhere. So I love love how you say that with the word approach. I think that for most companies, if it ain't working, change it. Yeah, I think it's such a good point. And it's interesting because my opinion on marketing, for instance, has changed a lot in the last few years where I learned working with a brand like Fat Scooters that didn't have to do a lot of marketing, that marketing is really for the mediocre, the traditional like, oh, I'm going to buy Google ads and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. It's for companies that aren't, that don't stand out. So that means you got to make a company that stands out. And and that is part of a strategy of actually saying, one of my favorite stories is I was at an event. This was probably five years ago. And I'm questioning if I should say the brand. I won't say the brand just because they might be embarrassed (laughs) because their philosophy was very interesting, but you could probably figure it out. So I was at an event. It was a charity event, a lot of high-end people there. And there was a watch company there and they were, they were showing off their watches and a lot of NFL players and rappers and things were over there looking at these watches and buying these watches. And I happened to be standing on the side and I started speaking with this young lady and she was the brand manager for them. And I said, I'm not familiar with your brand. Could you tell me a little bit about it? And she said, we're a high-end luxury watch company. And I said, oh, like Rolex. And she paused for a moment and she said, no, you can't purchase our products at the K Jewelers outside the Kmart at the dilapidated mall. And I went, whoa. Now I looked up her product there. She does. They do sell some $30,000 watches. The watches they were selling there were three to $400,000. And what that did in my mind was took Rolex from being this premier oh luxury brand to the, she's right. You can go to a K jewelers outside sure. the Kmart yep. at a dilapidated mall in the West Valley, and you can buy a $10,000 Rolex. Is that really what, wow. That's, oh, someday that's, I want to own a Rolex real quickly. I was like, I'm not going outside the Kmart and buying, but what she did was very strategic. Now, they don't market. This company does not market, but their customers understand that to them, Rolex is Timex. It is not a luxury brand. It's a very low end brand in comparison. And what she did by ranking it like that, by essentially taking my mind and saying, Rolex is way down here and we're way up here. Is she ruined me? I I had a Rolex. I saved for four years I've and been I saving turned, for one. <laughs> I saved for four years. And when I turned, how old was I? 31. I walked, walked down with nine, $9,200 in cash. Cause I just would put, I just say, that's yeah. how I, sometimes I save yeah. and four years, no joke. And this was way back in the day. And, and my yeah. then wife was like, go get it. You deserve it. Yeah. And I picked out the one and it was at a mall. No joke. <laughs> Probably a Kmart across the whole. It sucks that Crazy. what she did, but she ruined me. And it made me yeah. realize that really that standing out as a brand is more important than anything else. Yes. Number two, that technique was very, I think a lot of CEOs would be uncomfortable with that technique. They don't want to say disparaging things about their competitors. Yeah. They market in a really positive way. They understand that they're trying to gain market share away from their competitors, but they don't directly insult their competitors as part of the process. But here's a brand that's selling $450,000 watches. Yeah, 10 times the price. Yeah, happy to do that. And just spit on everybody else and say, yeah, if if you want a Rolex, go get one. 
you know, and then go back to your, your job working at Starbucks. They, they yeah. really were like insulting about it. And it made me understand that there is something to that. There is something to presenting your brand as, as, as something that maybe it's not, but there's value to that. There is really value to playing the opposite end of the spectrum instead of just being all positive. Yeah. Sometimes you can go low as long as you, as long as you can back. It's up. interesting that yellow book you see right there. Yeah. It's a, a very raw edgy book. So I took 25 years of my brain, which was fitness, mindset, well-being, business growth, all in one book. Mm. Uh, and it really turned out very well. But when you talk about differentiating yourself, I resonate with that because so many companies, when I have a call with even a prospect, like a, a CEO, potential client, I say, what makes you different? Why would I go to you and not, and I'll name one of his competitors. Yeah, And he'll be like, I don't know. Until you figure that out, you really are playing the race to the bottom, right? Yeah. Okay. And in my book, I call it market dominating position. So there you go. Yeah. There's another rephrasing of sure. separating your brand, right? Yeah. What, why should I buy from you as opposed to your direct competitor that I'm looking at on my computer right now? Why should I buy from you? So I agree with you that I think the, the key to any of these companies, and it really doesn't matter how big you are. Mm -hmm. it no, it doesn't matter. A million dollar brand, a $500,000 brand, or what makes you different? What makes you stand out? And what problems are you solving? And are you solving them in such a way that's different from your competitors? Yeah, because if you don't have that, then what you have to do is you've got to either hire very expensive salespeople oh or you have to spend a lot of money on marketing to try to differentiate yourself. But instead, try to create a business that has those differentiating factors. And sometimes it can be, it can almost seem counterintuitive. We at Fat Scooters used to, we allowed our salespeople to talk about the competitor's product. And it was like, a lot of times the conversation was, wow, that's really expensive for your product. Hey, let me give you a card for one of our competitors. They make knockoff products of ours. If you're interested, if you're trying to go for the lowest end of the spectrum, we can help you. We'll send you over to them. What's oh, the difference man. between your product and theirs? We had at our facility, all of the competitors models there. Yeah. So you could ride them. We were, we would tell people, they would be like, I saw this other one. I'm like, come on over and ride it. What do you mean? Yeah. Come over and ride it. If you like it, I you know, then that. you know what you want to buy and you can make a, a conscious decision. And they would come and we had a track at our office and they would ride that little piddly thing around. And then they would ride ours. And then we would say, which one do you think? And they would always go, obviously yours is way better. And we're like, yeah, but if you can't afford it, no, I, no, I got yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I got a oh, card. Yeah. I can do this. It's, that's you know, it's funny. I just came up with a phrase. I don't think I've ever heard it anywhere. Yeah. So my mind's going as I'm listening okay. to you talk. Yeah. And I'm going to phrase it aggressive confidence. Yes. Aggressive confidence. You've heard it here first on this podcast, folks. If I, if it's trademark, I said it first. I've never heard it anywhere <laughs> on the planet. Hold on. Let me buy the yell in my Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what you guys did is I would call that aggressive confidence, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You want X competitor? Go get them. We'll, we'll yeah. get it for you. Absolutely. So I do for the listeners out there. God, I got goosebumps on that one, Derek. Seriously. Yeah. For our listeners out there. If you can think about that, have the confidence, take your brand to such a level of confidence that you don't have, you don't have a problem talking about your competitors because you are so far above them. But that does get into that brand positioning, market dominating position, right? You've sure. got to figure that out. If you don't, and the quality of your product or service does, like your fat scooters, has to be heads and tails above your competitors. It does. Yeah. If it's not, then you are, because you could be inviting everybody to ride those scooters. And they're like, well, I, I don't get it. 
Yeah, no, it's very true. I think it has to be at least equal to, right? It, uh, yes, it's ideal if it's better than everybody else's out there. But let's you think about human beings. And this is what I spend a lot of time doing. Human it's psychology, even, I love this. Yeah, my, I, we get into a lot of psychology stuff with what yep. we do. And one of the things like a task that my, I have, a, I have a number of consultants that consult with me. And one of the tasks for October is you need to become competent at writing the alphabet upside down and backwards. So if you think about A through Z in a lot yeah. lines, let's say there's five lines, right? Wow. I need you to be able to do it upside down and backwards. And it is not easy. Oh it is God. very difficult to get your brain to juxtaposition. And it's funny, uh, every time that I do it, I'm like, oh, I got it. And then I turn it over and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it does. It's just gibberish. But I do that because we want to think differently. And, and thinking differently, in a lot of times, it comes down to the psychology. You can train your brain to do those things. But there's a lot of the evolutionary process that is still left inside of us too. And we have yeah. to remember that as a species, that our entire objective is to mate, uh, is to separate ourselves out and to, and to put ourselves in a position where we can mate with the best partner. That's just the evolutionary existence no of humankind. Sure. So when we think about brands, do you think it's any different there? We are programmed as a species to do one thing. And that is to forward the, our species and race are not our race, but our species, our human race, right? To forward our species into the future and to protect that genetic composition. So the same thing applies to marketing. When I think about marketers, yeah, look, let's just play nice and let's no go to a club and see how folks do it. Right. You know, who wins? Who wins in those situations? It's not Playing always nice the best look. It's the, it's the person who's a little bit more aggressive that is willing to go up and have that conversation that's willing to, to differentiate themselves from everybody else. So sitting on the sideline is not a way that you're going to attract a mate. It's not a way you're going to attract customers. You have to get aggressive. You got to get in their face. You've got to have that aggressive competence or at least, listen, if what is the old saying about uh, you always strike out or whatever, it's like you, you, you miss all of the shots you don't take. Oh, for you sure. You just got to take the shots. You yep. just got to get up and take the shots over and over because your probability will be higher than just sitting there doing nothing. Marketing, in my opinion, it's all about perception from your con the consumer, right? Yeah. It's if you can build up this storyline, this value proposition, whether it's a product or service, and you build up to such a level that the perception from that consumer base is like, wow, these guys are in that. Yeah. To me, that's good marketing. Sure. And I think and that goes way beyond Facebook ads and Google ads and tactics and all of that stuff. It does go back into that. I'll keep circling back around brand positioning. What makes you different? How are you that much better than your competitors, which in the consumer's mind is perception. It really is. Perception. Yeah. And perception is such a key, even with the process fixer and a lot of the work that we do, we come in and we're, we're a little different than other process companies here in town. And, and there are some great ones and there's some great tools out there. But for the most part, the assumption from process people is we want to document your process so that you can, you can quick, more quickly onboard people and that you don't lose any of your sort of oral tradition of your business. Yep. We take a very different approach. We have the assumption going in that you are making chocolate pies. And what I mean by that is that your 56 six step process is probably half complete garbage waste Love. feces. Yep. And we have to clean it up first and then create a new process, a happy path process that fixes all of these problems. 
And we see this over yep. and over. We had a company just recently here where they said, can you come in and document our processes? Cause we want to be able to onboard people more efficiently. Yep. And we said, absolutely not. What we'll do is we'll come in, we'll document your processes. Then we'll run them through an analysis of five or six different consultants, a CFO, a CTO, a CIO, an agile software developer, an accountant. We'll have each of them look at your process and make notes on it. And we'll see if we can improve upon it. And one of the processes that we were asked to look at was their payroll. It took this company 31 hours a week to run payroll for their accounting team because they had it was a they had all these different locations and it was just it was really a crazy process. We observed it. We then brought in one of our V our Visual Basic programmers. And he was able to write a macro in Excel that took payroll processing last week down to 11 seconds. From what to what? From 31 hours a week. Whoa. Yeah. So what's the savings there? And then we use oh. the old Six Sigma calculation. We do what's called a PERT study where we actually, with a stopwatch, timed her doing the things. And then we took her hourly rate, you know, what it costs oh, yeah. for that oh, person yeah. to be in that seat, figure it all out. Come down at the end and be like, okay, it costs you $66,000 a year to use this Excel spreadsheet. It'll cost you $5,000 to build a macro. Which would you like to do? It's very, now we can bake a process out. Yeah. We can yep. show you how to do the process, but baking that chocolate pie would not be a good thing to do because all you're doing is memorializing garbage. We're memorializing. That's feces. a good way to put it. Yeah. So don't do that. You got to get in there. You got to hire an analyst. And listen, I don't write my own process maps and analyze my own process. I hire somebody to do it. Why? Because it's impossible to do your own. I used to do workshops trying to teach people how to do it. You can't do it. You can't because you will, you will, you'll stick your head in your sand when you see something like it takes 31 hours. You won't sit there for 31 hours. You'll see it and you'll go, oh, this is really a pain in the ass. So checkbox. You just can't do that. So you have to have somebody that has a perspective that is different from yours to come in and analyze this. I'm going to read you a, a quote. It's for something that I'm working on right now, but it's a story from a, a family member of mine that's a rocket scientist. Hmm. And, and he used to say that when you have very difficult problems, you don't hire other rocket scientists to fix them. You find people that have no understanding of rocket science at all. And what he would say is that people who think like us have to be smarter than us to solve our problems. And that makes a lot of sense. Think about sure. it. If I'm, the, if I'm one of the top rocket scientists in the world and I have a problem that I can't solve and I hire other rocket scientists, the assumption is they're either not as good as me right? Because I'm the top in the world or why the hell don't they work for me in the first place? Yeah. How do we miss this talent? But what you find is if you bring in random people that are smart, right? Maybe you bring in random professors or you bring in a random person that doesn't understand it. Their perspective is going to be so radically different than yours that they're going to see things that you can't see. And yeah. there's a NASA story that goes along with this. And it's very similar. NASA has learned this same lesson. Years ago, they were trying to figure out and they just recently deflected this meteor, this asteroid that they were, they did this test on, but what they discovered was they were trying to figure out how to land probes on comets and meteors. The problem is many of them spin so quickly that there's no way to, to, to land because the ground is turning faster. So they hmm. were trying to figure out how do you solve this? What do we have to do? What kind of inertia, what kind of calculations, all these kind of things. And they brought a group of people together, just random people. And they said, how would you solve this problem? And one of the ladies stood up and she said, my daughter is taking ice dancing lessons. And when you're doing a spin, 
you pull your body close to yourself to spin faster and you put your arms out to slow down. And she said, if that asteroid just had arms on it with weights that stuck out, you could slow it down real, real slow. So you could land on it. And the folks at NASA were like, it's freaking brilliant. Like you just stick a big pole on each side with a weight on it. And the thing will slow down so slow that you can land on it. That wasn't NASA rocket scientists that figured that out. That's crazy. That was an ice dancer that figured that out. So that's why you have to have radically different perspectives because if you don't, you're going to get, if everybody in your conference room has read the same books and went to the same conferences and went to the same schools, sorry, you're all going to have the same opinion. You can't have a different opinion. No, I think that's amazing. And I love that story with the NASA. Um, We could go on and on. We don't have time. And I I know you're busy over there, but I want to end with this last question because the name and the theme of this podcast and my book is dominate your market. Um, Give our listeners a strategy that's working for your clients right now to gain market share. Yeah. And I think it goes on to the Emmy thing, right? It's about right now. It's about long form content. It is about, it is not about slick marketing messages. Consumers can smell that a mile away. They don't want to be sold anymore. They want to have a conversation with your brand and they don't even have to be a part of that conversation. They just want to see a conversation happening with your brand that allows them to understand who you are, what makes you tick and helps them really understand you as a genuine individual. And that's what I'm seeing. It's one of the reasons we're doing so many podcasts on behalf of brands right now. And I host them. I'm the host. I'm the guy that's doing the talk. 50%. If I can't hold at least a third or 40% of the conversation, you shouldn't have me as a host because I don't want it to just be an interview. I want it to be banter. I want to talk about what's happening in your life. And I want to talk about what's happening in your business and the challenges and all those kind of things. That's really genuine content. You can take that content. You can put it on YouTube. You can turn it into blog posts. You can, you can make it into TikTok videos. You can do all sorts of things, but that's what people are looking for right now. They are really not, it's the reason even, and I'm an author of books too. And uh, you know, it's the reason that I use blink. I have audible and I have blinkist. I listen to maybe one audible book a month. I listen to six or seven blinkist books a month. And if you're not familiar with blinkist, yeah, it's just somebody else reads it and sits in front of a microphone like this and explains it to you for 10 minutes. Yep. Brilliant. So that that's what I would say that would be the first thing is make sure you're doing long form content, whatever that is. YouTube is the second biggest search engine out there. That's where it's at. But I would say that's really important. And then I think on top of that, getting other perspectives, like we just talked about, is really fascinating. And we live in a world now where I can get on something like Fiverr and for 20 or $30, schedule a call with a consultant that can give me a piece of advice. Look, even if 90% of it is garbage, right. there's one that idea that's going to come out of there. And I have and sometimes these consultants on there, I've found a couple that are like 200 bucks an hour. And I'll ask them, what do you do for a living? And I find out they're CTO for a Fortune 1000 company. And wow. they're just on bored. Fiverr? Yeah, absolutely. I find them all the time. I've, I have talked to people at major corporations and they're just bored. And they're at their kids' soccer game and they're like, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on at six o'clock with you for an hour and give you some business advice and tell them, and act like you're your therapist. And it's like, this is somebody who I would pay thousands of dollars an hour for. Oh yeah. Oh but, yeah. But they can't really moonlight with the job they're at. So they just go on Fiverr and do these little couple hundred dollar an hour gigs. And I've got a friend that's done $60,000 so far this year on Fiverr as a consultant. She just, Fiverr is what a nugget you just gave right there, honestly, <laughs> yeah. because and I've used Fiverr for a lot of things, right? When I need something really high quality, probably yeah. Fiverr. No, I don't but, go to Fiverr for it. But I never knew or really realized 
consultants on Fiverr. What? That is crazy. That is I have done the, just so the, I've done 135 projects on Fiverr this year. Not me personally. These are me buying other people's stuff. Even if it's, even if it's an analysis of something, many times I agree with you, the quality isn't always great. There is local sellers that you can do now where you can select yeah, yeah, local yep, sellers. You yep. only get us based sellers, yes. but I will usually, if I have a project, something that I just need a different perspective on, I'll hire two or three different people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have That's them do thing. I'll, yeah, have them all do the same thing, bring it together and judge it. And then I decide from there who I'm going to hire and work with going forward. I've hired multiple people through systems like Fiverr. I have a guy in Sri Lanka. He's the best man. He texts me when stuff's going on with the family and I've used oh, him wow. for years for stuff. He's just, a, he's a great video editor and a great, he can do cartoons and all sorts of stuff. I haven't done a project with him in six months. We still keep in touch. He's Aww. still part of my network. So those are the kind of things I think the power of the internet anymore is just incredible. I've started, I just joined Lunch Club. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's another, Lunch Club is really interesting. You just go in and put your profile and your LinkedIn in, in it. You put a time on your schedule each week and it schedules a meeting with you and somebody other random that has similar interests around the world. You jump on Zoom and yeah, and it's free. No way, really? Yeah. I did one yesterday with a guy. He's a, huh. He is a CIO for a company in Silicon Valley looking to leave. And he's just like, telling me about what he's doing. I'm telling him about what I'm doing. We had some mutual connections and, and it's a great new relationship. What's it called Lunch Club? It's called Lunch Club. Yeah. I just wow. joined it today. He told me about it yesterday. Oh, I'll uh, be joining it. No doubt. Yeah, That's yeah, incredible. It's like, why not? Especially for people that do podcasts and things like that. It's a great way to find potential guests and to just make new connections. Derek, this, wow. Okay. Number one, I typically do an introduction call before the podcast. I jump on with you and I'm like, okay, I've met my match. This dude is, <laughs> he is, but this has been so much fun. Absolutely. You brought so much energy, so much value. I can Thank just you. see the passion in you, your background. I can't wait to promote this thing because it's, this was a good one. This was a very, so I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Got it. Now the most important part, if people want to find out more about you, yep. give me website URLs. Cause yeah. it'll, it'll be in the show notes. Just pile it all on. Yeah, absolutely. Mostly LinkedIn is the best way to find me. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. That's probably the best, but DerekMains.com. You can also find me the processfixer.com, podcastology.com. I've got lots of different ways to communicate, but LinkedIn is my jam. That's where I've got thousands of followers and that's where I have most of my conversations. So that's always the best way to find me. Okay. People don't go to the show notes. Derek Mains, D-E-R-I-C-K-M-A-I-N-S. That's it. DerekMains.com. Uh, Derek, so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I so appreciate it. Neighbors and all, have a great day over there. All right. Thanks so much. Great chatting with you. You've just listened to the Dominate Your Market podcast with CEO, business consultant, and author Michael Peterson. Growth minded CEOs hire Michael to explode their revenues, build an amazing company, and create a transformational mindset that encapsulates growth, success, and ultimately happiness. His book, Dominate Your Market, is creating quite a stir in the marketplace. Go to dominateyourmarketbook.com and get your first chapter free.